Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 482. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink. I was waiting for like a, No, you know, there's nothing else. It's just... Agent Hair on Fire or Pizza Maven or something. Agent Pants on Fire, liar. Oh. Liar. Oh. Can you trust her? It's hard to say. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> When you do that voice, it reminds me we just watched the Maltese Falcon the other night. Oh yeah, um, which I'd never watched before, and it was it was it was pretty good. A decent you see, movie. kid, I've got a Maltese Falcon, kid. That's, That's exactly right. the line from the movie. That's how it started and how it ended. I've got a Maltese Falcon, kid. Just uh, it's like Humphrey that. Bogart, right? <laughs> yeah, it's Humphrey Bogart. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, it's very good. Oh jeez. <laughs> but we are not here just to talk about classic movies. No, we're going to talk about everything that's happening this week in Marvel. Maybe some games, comics, movies, TV. Who knows what we'll get into? Uh, I think we'll start with, of course, the thing that everybody's talking about. If you're a Marvel fan, Marvel Studios WandaVision. The first two episodes just released last week on Disney+. Plus. Lorraine, we've watched them. How you feeling? What are you excited oh. about? We'll try not to spoil anything major here. Go watch the shows. But one of the things that I was thinking about the other night that just still really delights me is that both episodes so far have had unique opening sequences in the style of television of the decade that it's portraying. And and if you really look closely to all of the stuff in the background, there are so many like little Easter eggs. You could just basically go through and like watch on slow-mo. If you know, you know. That's all I'll say. I I didn't even pick them up the first time we watched them because we watched Mm -hmm. them a little early. We got them in in a special way that we do. And I didn't have a chance to explore them that way. And I started to do that. And then looking at some stuff, you know, super sleuths on the Internet, I was like, holy moly, this is Mm -hmm. deeper and cooler than I, I had even expected. And it's freaking awesome. Yeah, I really just love all of the sort of classic televisionness of it, like the commercials even are so and I love that they're in that old style commercial where you know really if you were filming in front of a live tv audience they would like switch over to the other part of the studio and there'd just be like a man and a woman like would you like a a product um (laughs) (laughs) and like for me that is just like chef's kiss yeah yeah, it's it was those are really cool and those even those are filled with easter eggs. I remember we mm-hmm. we got to see some cool stuff about just the props and like the things oh, that yeah. were being made for those commercials, things around the the house. Of course it's, you know, our our pal Russell Bobbitt who is just the best. He is such a major amazing craftsman and what he and the team has put together is just beyond. Yeah, he is our Marvel props master on the show and he is I mean, and he's also been a prop master on many, many, many of the films. And even if he wasn't the major prop master, usually had some contribution to every film, basically, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And this one is just so cool because everything is period accurate, which is just so fun. Yeah. Lorraine, speaking of the show, you brought a little clippy clip for us to check out? I did. Um, So the other weekend, I was like, I would love to work. Um, And so I hopped into a junket for Marvel Studios WandaVision, and I got to talk to Paul Bettany, who is a delight and a fashion icon, if you did not know. Mm -hmm. You can check out all the interviews on Earth's Mightiest Show, but I wanted to share this clip from our interview so uh, everybody can get a little tasty taste of what's happening in this series. 
Well, I'm so excited to get to check it out. And I know Marvel fans are particularly excited to check it out. What are you most excited for them to check out? I'm really excited for them to just buckle in and give in and yield to this crazy, insane, creative ride. It is not an arbitrary decision that it starts in the world of sitcoms. It will make sense and all will be revealed. And when they are, when it is revealed, you will understand so much more about the future of the MCU. Paul is just... He's tremendous. Uh, the whole cast is really good. You got to talk to so many of them. And I, I like that you say, oh, I want to work. You are always working. You work <laughs> nonstop. Sometimes you got to slow down. That's all I got to say. I know. I work till 830 on Friday. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, my yeah, soul yeah. was like, what am I doing? It's a half day. Anyway. Yeah. Um, that This is not the only thing. The show is not the only thing. Obviously, there's a ton of merch that's coming out around every episode of Marvel Studios WandaVision. And there were some really cool items announced over on Marvel.com. There's t-shirts. There's wedding rings. There's uh, Wanda and Vision Funkos, tumblers. I mean, the list goes on. Yeah, it's kind of neat because they're going to have merch like after each episode, it seems like. Mm -hmm. These Marvel must-haves. So... You definitely want to watch the episodes and then check out the merch. And it's like, oh, you're just going to be loaded up on all the cool stuff after every episode. Yeah. Wedding Rings is wild and really fun to me. Yeah, they're so cool. And they're very much like the ones on the show, which is just really super great. You can actually look at all of them at marvel.com slash must haves. Wow, that is so handy and easy. We've made that just for you, everyone. Yeah, I'm just looking at them right now. It's like the the mugs and the glasses, the different things. Ooh, and they're even organizing them by episode, which is great. All right, I got to see while we're here. The ring set is affordable as all get out, only $60, and you get three rings. So You know what is crazy cool, too, is they, the watch that they have a commercial for on the show, mm -hmm. they have it for sale. Man... Clever, clever. I like that. I think that's really neat. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. I mean, I just, I kind of love it when also like cosplayers get into it, but I don't you just love, like you could get that and dress up as that guy for your next cosplay. Bam. Done. Done. That, yeah. Is that the, the Strucker watch? That's mm -hmm. the, yeah, you know what? I'm not, I'm not wearing a Nazi watch. I'll just say that right now in the comics you at least. Strucker's you, you don't like hardcore. You don't just you worst. hold it and, and sell it like your soul. <laughs> oh, well, you know what? That changes everything, Lorraine. Right. Yeah. Marvel Studios WandaVision is not the only thing on Disney Plus that we want to tell you all about because there's a brand new documentary special called Marvel's Behind the Mask, which is going to debut February 12th exclusively on Disney Plus. This one explores the power of identity behind the world's most iconic superheroes we know and love today. This doc is in part produced by our friend Harry Goh who mm -hmm. worked on Marvel 616, and um, it's real cool. What are some of the things we're going to see in this doc, Lorraine? It's going to feature guests from across Marvel's incredible 80-year legacy, including writers and artists who are behind some of the greatest characters in history, like Black Panther, Miles Morales, Ms. Marvel, Luke Cage, the X-Men, Captain Marvel, and of course, many other characters in the Marvel Universe. And they're going to be highlighting Marvel's impact on pop culture and media overall. 
yeah, it, it's going to be really cool. A lot of uh, love put into this doc. So definitely check it out. I hope the team gets to keep doing more of these cool things like this in Marvel 616. So definitely check it out. Again, that's called Marvel's Behind the Mask, debuting February 12th on Disney+. And you know, the week after that, Lorraine, arriving on Disney+, Plus, one of the greatest shows of all time hits Disney+, Plus, The Muppet Show, Finally, finally, five seasons. We have the DVD sets uh, at our mm-hmm. house, but they never the released. The old school Muppet last... Show. What's that? The old school Muppet Show. Yes, the 1970s Muppet Show, mm-hmm. which is just brilliant and it's funny and it's full of pop culture stuff. It is, it is pure magic. I couldn't, I couldn't not have us talk about it, even though it's not a Marvel show. You know, I have to say, one of the things I love about the old Muppet Show is it's. Definitely one of those shows for the whole family because kids can watch it and they'll laugh and love the puppets and just have a good time. And there's also like a lot of humor that goes over their head, but the adults are like, yeah, man, I get it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of the beauty of so much of what Jim Henson and his teams put Mm -hmm. together, whether it's Muppets or even on some some of Sesame Street, you know, watching a lot of Sesame Street with Catherine Grace, she she loves Elmo and she's learned, you know, mm-hmm. she's like learning to love more and more of the other characters. But every once in a while, they'll do like parodies of very oh, adult yeah. movies and TV shows, but do them in a way that is totally friendly for kids. So it's mm-hmm. it's incredible. It's really wonderful. You know, one of my all time favorite lesser known Sesame Street characters is Monty and his flying circles, which is just uh, like a knockoff Monty Python character, and he's like, oh, it's me and my circles. I, it's just great. <laughs> Very similar to British Kitty in the City. <laughs> I Flying circles. I got to see Monty, Monty. Monty and his flying circles. <laughs> oh, it's so good. There's so many. I mean, and now they do all of those show parodies, too, of, like, they've done Game of Thrones parodies. They've yeah. done all kinds of things, which are just the greatest. Yeah. Also, the greatest, of course, the MCU. We have something um, that we put together on Marvel.com, which is the iconic moments from Phase 3 of the MCU. Did you work on this? Yeah, Earth's Mightiest Show did this, and I pulled essentially all of these iconic moments from comic books that are in Phase 3 of the MCU. And there's so many that we literally had to break it down into two parts because it was so long. There were There's just so many, but it kicks off with Marvel Studios, Captain America, Civil War, and it goes through, I believe, Black Panther. Uh, and then the Infinity Saga, the completion of that, all is going to be in the second part. So this is just the beginning of phase three. But, you know, it's so funny because phase one, you know, handful of movies, phase two, a slightly larger handful of movies, phase three, a million movies. So... And, and also, like, the the amazing fan service done in these films is just incredible, especially once you get to phase three. It's just, like, every other camera angle, you're like, oh, that reminds me of this run, and that reminds me of that run. And then you go back and you look, and you're like, yeah, because that's, like, extremely similar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that they, is the it, composition of the panel. <laughs> they, they just did such a great job of honoring the comics, but making it something wholly its own and, mm-hmm. and really exploring the media that they're working in. You know, I say media because now as we get into phase four, it's movies and these, you know, episodic series. It's really incredible. This, uh, These two videos are going to be incredible uh, recaps, 
you know, if you need something to get you hyped for Marvel Studios WandaVision and Phase 4, this is like going to be perfect for you. Yep, it's definitely a great recap. Go enjoy it on Marvel.com or wherever you get your Marvels stuff at our social media. Yeah. Yeah. We also got some more news about a comic book we we talked about a little bit last week. We just mentioned it. Miles Morales, Spider-Man number 25, in which there will be a Miles Morales, Spider-Man clone saga, as they call it. Right? uh, A saga? Clone saga. I don't want to confuse anyone. The clone saga, uh, <laughs> this this story uh, starts in Miles Morales, Spider-Man 25. Though, if you are a reader of Miles Morales, Spider-Man, you know there's been some wild, clony, nasty business. There's some some really dark stuff that has happened to Miles in this series. It's all been written by Saladin Ahmed. And this new arc is, again, based around the, the sort of clone saga stuff from the 90s uh, mm-hmm. that ripped through the pages of all the Peter Parker books. But this is going to be very unique to Miles Morales. There are three distinct Miles Morales clones running around in this book, and they are designed by Stormbreaker Carmen Carnero, who she is just freaking terrific. Uh, you can check out some of that art and get some more information on Marvel.com. Yeah, um, there's a nice quote up there from Saladin, which says, Miles' clone saga is a story that has been months, even years in the making. We've been planting its seeds throughout the series from the horrors of being abducted by the assessor to the confrontations and sacrifices of the ultimatum epic. Moments from the past will come back to haunt Miles and the events of the story will ensnare everyone from his baby sister to Peter Parker, who knows a thing or two about dealing with clones. The ramifications will be felt for years, and it starts in April. Mm-hmm. Lots of April comics coming that we're very excited about. You can go to Marvel.com for all those news stories and information, the art that we have to share. And yeah, so much good art from all the Stormbreakers and many more. There's also Patrick Gleason has been posting some of his covers that he's been doing. There's the, a cover for Carnage, Red, White, and Blood that oh, is, there's been a bunch, yeah. Oh man, it's so good. If you just if anybody out there, if you follow Patrick Gleason on Instagram, I think it's Patrick Gleason Art. He's real good, and uh, I'm very excited to see some more of his art pop up. Yeah, it's super gnarly. Yeah. All right. It is time in the show for us to get to our interview. And on this episode, we are chatting with Evan Narcissus. Actually, we're chatting with Evan as well as you, Lorraine. You spin yeah. around in your chair become the interviewee, not the interviewer the whole time, because we're talking about Marvel's Declassified, one of your other shows. Yeah, we get into all about the series in this interview, and uh, we even have like a little uh, clippy clip for you. Yeah, that clip will be uh, towards the end of the interview, so definitely listen through the whole thing, and then we'll be back with you to talk about uh, some community stuff, our question of the week, and tell you who's on the show next week. All right, all right. Let's get this started. Lorraine, you brought a friend to the show this week. Would you please introduce our guest? We're friends? Yeah, it was bring a bring a friend to work day. So bring a friend from work to work. And that's why we have Evan Nurses here from Marvel's to Classified. Hey, Evan. Hey, everybody. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. Chill vibes. I'm excited. I, Evan, I think we had you on the show a while ago when you were doing your Black Panther book for yes. Marvel. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, we want to know, what is your Marvel origin story? How'd you first started, you know, getting uh, acquainted with our kooky characters? 
You know, uh, like a lot of people, I learned to read on comics, you know, so some of the first things I, I was able to read by myself were comics. The The first comic I can remember buying for myself was from the Distinguished Competition, but the first Marvel comic I can remember, gosh, it was probably Spider-Man, maybe during the Roger Stern, John Romita Jr. years. Yeah, I've been I'm, I've been reading Marvel ever since I was a kid. And then, you know, unlike some of my friends, I just never stopped reading comics, you know, like a few of my friends like, yeah, yeah, I fell away from it when I was in college. Right? I decided that I was too cool for, for all of that. I, I, I never decided that I was too cool. Lorraine, did I mean, you were reading and you were going to cons and everything when you were a kid, too. Did mm-hmm. uh, did you ever fall away from comics for a time because i know i did in, in little periods because mm-hmm. yeah unlike evan i am definitely too cool and sometimes i was just like <laughs> skating around on my hover skates and, and i was like i can't do comics right now guys i gotta go unlike you i got too broke because i went to college and i was like this is not the priority i have other reading so i kind of like got out of it a little bit towards the end of high school and into college mm-hmm. and then when i started having a dollar for a job i was like oh I could buy a comic book. That would be fun. <laughs> I, I love that because I remember those moments. I remember specifically having enough money to buy comics again. And I I remember buying Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly's new X-Men and Oof. Exiles by Judd Winnick and Mike McCone. Like that era, early 2000s, when I started to have a little bit of money. And I was like, man, comics are great. I'm so glad to be back. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's good to like, whether you leave and come back or whether you stay with it, watching like... I think the level of craft in comics nowadays is insane. It's utterly ridiculous, which isn't to say there wasn't high levels of craft um, um, in previous eras, but like there's so many different kinds of great comic stories being told, even within superheroes as a genre, even within Marvel as a subset of that genre. So it's, it's great to see like the, the, the medium evolve. I hang out with these two brainiacs who know all of the things about comics all the time. But what were some of your favorite seminal runs growing up? What were the characters that like made you as a kid? Gosh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I just got done interviewing Joe Duffy for for Marvel's The Classified, and her Power Man and Iron Fist run was some of my favorite comics, and they they are up there with Christopher Priest's Power Man and Iron Fist run uh, comics, and I love those so much. You know, I told her that like it was those were like formative for me because like you got to see like, oh, wait, people from different backgrounds can be friends with each other. Like this is a period of time in high school where like that seemed like a foreign concept for me. (laughs) Um, So that comic helped. You know, I love uh, I mean, Claremont X-Men, Byrne, Paul Smith is a favorite X-Men artist of mine. It is probably too on brand for me, but I love uh, Christopher Priest's Black Panther run, obviously. Gosh. I'm trying to think if there's anything like outlier that can make me seem cool, but it's all I'm drawing a blank now. Oh, I mean, I'm a huge Denny O'Neill fan. I love Denny O'Neill's Daredevil in particular. I've written love letters to um, in my former life as a journalist and pop culture critic. I think incredibly humanizing and amazing art by a slew of artists up to and including David Mazzucchelli. I love that stuff so much. Denny O'Neill is to me like so important to me as like a person who existed in the world like his writing taught me so much about how to treat other people how to observe the world how to be part of it and and how to uh, tell stories yeah so i love his stuff a lot you also have had a career in in journalism and and working in video games we recently talked to you about spider-man miles morales what are some of your favorite video games like any era any period you know, just like when you think of video games and that warm spot inside you, 
what pops up? So um, one of the first that comes to mind is Assassin's Creed Freedom Cry, um, you know, part of the Assassin's Creed series. I like that one in particular because it's set in Haiti before the Haitian Revolution. And growing up, my mom would always tell me we're from a small, poor island, you know, that has an amazing history. Don't ever let anybody tell you that you're nothing because of where you come from. And I became a, a critic and I never thought I'd see, you know, my homeland represented in that way where like all that historical import, all that cultural kind of energy um, that led into the revolution, you know, it's a video game, so it's heavily fictionalized, but like the research was done and, and, and I felt it. There's characters speaking Creole, which is what we speak in, in Haiti. And I never thought I would hear that in a video game. So that was amazing to me. I love that one. Res, which is a, a old school, trippy, psychedelic shooter that came out in 2001, originally on Dreamcast and then on PS2 and has been since remade in VR. Far my favorite video game of all time. It's just, I think, this a work of art. What else? Oh, Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons, which is this amazing game that came out like maybe f- six, seven years ago, is this dark fantasy with a unique control scheme where each analog stick controls one of the two brothers. A great example of video games as an expressive art form where it's like, here, the the the, the way you move through this world is actually part of the storytelling experience. I think it's great. Yeah, gosh, yeah, y'all got me. I can go on and on. I mean, you know, I'm biased, <laughs> but like, I love the Miles game. I love the Miles Morales game. I think, you know, I still play that ending. I've played through that ending like four or five times and I still tear up every time. So not to pat myself and the folks at Insomniac on the back, but I, I'm proud of what we accomplished there. You've gotten to work on a lot of cool Marvel stuff. Just for the sake of these cats getting to know you better, tell us about the cool stuff you've done from publishing and beyond. Yeah, so, you know, my career as a writer has been kind of a very haphazard one. I started as a fact checker at Teen People Magazine way back in 1998. (laughs) Um, Are there any wild facts you had to check? Because fact checking is a really fascinating (laughs) like part of journalism. Oh, okay. One funny thing. I remember... We had these um, as told to stories where in the subject of an article, um, it's written in the first person, right? Those you have to be really careful of because you don't want somebody to say, I didn't say that, right? So basically, when you're fact checking a story like that, you have to read the whole piece to the back to them verbatim, right? And, you know, they, they say, no, I, I, I wouldn't say something like that. Can you change this? So I will never forget, guys. The cover story was on Usher one, one month and I was fact checking <laughs> it and I had to reread that whole thing. And it was just after his breakup, I think, with Chili from TLC. So he was like kind of emotional and we were kind of alluding to it, but not really getting to the nitty gritty. And like I was on the phone with him for at least two hours. We read that article over and over again. I can't don't know how many times, but the one interesting fact that I remember to this day is I don't know if he's still doing it, but he used to get his hair cut every two days to keep his line tight, to keep his his look to his specifications. And I was like. Wow, I guess that's what it's like when you when you are an international superstar who goes on tour nonstop. You just got a barber who probably travels with you. So yeah, and the most that's a level of wealth. Fast. Yeah, I, like like that that is just something different. I can't even imagine it. The grimmer part of that job was I had to fact check the cover story that we did on the Columbine shooting that involved talking to victims, survivors, and their and. And, and and including students and parents, and it was the most sobering, chilling things I've ever had to do. It was um, incredible work by the reporter and writers who did that story, and I was just a small part of that team being a fact checker. But one of the things I think that I took away from that experience was 
the power to shed light on a moment in time from different perspectives, um, which is something that good journalism does and good storytelling does. And if I took anything from journalism into my creative writing, this current part of my career is that like every story has multiple angles and trying to anticipate those and, and think those through makes the story feel more dimensional. So, yeah. So anyway, that's where I started my journalism career. You know, while I was a teen people, at the launch of the magazine, it was very much not a typical teen magazine in terms of being um, gender agnostic. You know, the audience was meant to be guys as well as girls and it wasn't very much teen, teeny bopper. So, you know, I went to one of the entertainment editors and I was like, yo, video games and comic books are youth culture. We should be covering them. And I'm the guy who should be covering them. So she gave me a shot and I got like a little square in some of the issues where I got to write about comics I liked or that were cool or coming out video games. And, you know, I had more of a platform on the website at the time. Those editors let me kind of ramble on because, you know, I like to do that. Um, But yeah, so that's kind of how I got into like uh, being a pop culture journalist and critic, you know, like from there, editors on you went to other places and I started freelancing for them. And, you know, I kind of made my bones being a guy who wrote about this stuff in entertaining and elucidating fashion. So, yeah. And from there, I went to websites like Kotaku and io9 and I was writing game and comics criticism. And I did an interview with ta Coates about Black Panther. And, you know, full disclosure, I'd known ta before that, but we weren't really super close at the time. We just, you know, our lives took it in different places. But I did an interview with him about his Panther run and Marvel editor Will Moss said, hey, Evan really seems to know his Black Panther stuff. You think be interested in doing a project for us? And Tanahasi bought that to me. And I had to think about it because I'm like, I don't, I've loved this character my entire life. I can't mess this up. Can I do this? <laughs> I'll let other people be the judge. But like I said, yes. And I wrote Rise of the Black Panther and um, it was an incredible experience, life-changing experience. But yeah, I've written about video games for places like Otaku and now I'm, I've, I'm working in animation and games. So like I'm all over the place. And Evan, one one other key place, podcast, Evan. Oh, oh yeah, for moments of classified, that's a given. That's a given. Yeah, I mean, that's why we're here, right? But yes, the nice people at Marvel New Media said, uh, we need a co-host. What about that Evan guy? He seems like he likes to talk, and they were right. And look at you now. Um, yes. I think this is a perfect time to then, uh, Lorraine, I want you to move your chair to the other side of your desk so that you could be symbolically alongside Evan for this part of the interview as we get into talking about Marvel's Declassified, since you are the other host of the show. And it really kind of started with you. Yeah, the secret history of Marvel's Declassified actually, strangely, comes back to you, Ryan. It's weird because I very much remember I was having lunch with a friend of mine who is named Arda Okal, who is um, an esports guy. He's worked at ESPN. He worked at WWE. We were talking about something and we were having a conversation with me and former This Week of Marvel host Ben Morse. He was talking about some sort of history and story, I think about hockey. And I was like, I don't care about hockey, but this would be really cool. And I started coming up with this idea of just behind the scenes stories in, in a way that we hadn't done them before. And I told Ben, Ben, you should think about doing something with this and talk to Lorraine because I think that would be a cool idea if we can explore this. And then Lorraine, you took it and ran with it and turned it into something way better. Can I interject for one quick second? The thing about hockey, there was a quote I read recently. Somebody was saying how legendary Marvel artist John Buscema was like, if you want to understand how to draw superhero comics, there's no better sport to look at and observe for terms of movement and grace and agility than ice hockey. And now I look at Buscema's drawings. I'm like, 
they all look like they're skating on ice. Hmm. Um, um, not always, but like it, it's the kind of insight. It's Spider-Man for sure. I can yeah. picture it. Yeah. And it's a kind of insight that like, oh, wait, it makes you understand like this creators work differently. And I feel like that's what we're trying to do on the classified. I, I, I totally interrupted you, Lorraine. So I'm sorry, but I felt like I had to get oh, that no. out. No, I mean, and from there, really, it just came down to like, we're like, great, let's do a history podcast. Let's let's look at things. And from there, we broke it down and figured out how to make it a dang show. And we found Evan, which was the other piece of the puzzle to find somebody with all of that delightful comic knowledge that journalistic intent. You, you say it's a history show, which it is, but there's more to it than that. And I, I've tasked you, I've asked you this before, Lorraine. So I'm going to ask this to Evan first. Evan, if you had, you know, what, what's your elevator pitch for what Marvel's Declassified is? You know, when I tell friends about it, it's like, you know, Marvel's Declassified is a show about the people, places, events that have shaped Marvel's publishing history in individual stories in ways that you may not have known about. So, you know, we talked to Jerry Conway, the legendary Marvel writer who's co-creator of The Punisher and so many characters, but he's also the man who wrote the issue where Gwen Stacy died. And it's like, yo, where were you at emotionally, psychologically when you were writing that issue, right? Like, you know, did you know it was gonna be this big? And, you know, one of the things he talks about is like getting the letters after that issue published and how like, wow, that did a number on him. He's like, I was only 20 at the time. And like, you learn these stories where like, you were 20 years old. What was I doing at 20? Like trying not to like fail whatever class I was taking in college. I will tell you one ridiculous thing that I was doing when I was 20 years old. Cause when I was 20, the Xbox was coming out that year and I worked at Best Buy and I remember I, I forced them to let me buy one, even though I was an employee and I shouldn't have been able to buy one. And I bought it and put it on my lap on my car, driving home from work, screaming Xbox out the window because I was so friggin' excited to play my new video games. That's who I was at 20 years old. So this kid, much smarter than I was at that age. Good for Jerry. Well, there's an astounding amount of creators who started when they were right out of high school. Yeah. They are like baby children, you know. I think, too, you know, people have evolved so much to where you, they don't expect you to be a fully formed person until you're, like, well out of college right? or into your mid-20s. But, I mean, so many of these guys are shaping what Marvel would be, and they're still kids themselves. Also, there's just so many stories in this series that – are so mind blowing that you might not have ever known in our one of our previous episodes that just came out a few weeks ago is all about World War II and Vietnam and how those shaped sort of the comics landscape. And just learning about what was going on in New York at the time, there were Nazi rallies happening in New York City before the US had entered the war. And when they wrote Captain America, it was a hit, but it was also extremely controversial for the time. And now we're just like, obviously, you punch Hitler. That's the right answer. It, it is so interesting just to hear those stories um, told in the present tense. You know, we look at them through these rose-colored glasses of the past, like, well, that was then. And it really brings things into focus when you you look at it in that way, like, of the moment, what was really happening and what the real fallout of those things were. Putting history in context is one of the fun things about the show, right? So it's like you learn about the creation of Carol Danvers and you're like, yes, 
uh, guess what? She was remodeled after Gloria Steinem when she got her solo series. And and they were trying to address the kind of energy of women's rights social movement at the time. Like, you know, you read these comments, like, maybe it sort of was it. But like, they're like, no, actually, it was. So putting history in its context and then seeing how these stories live on beyond that context and get a life of their own is like just so gratifying to be able to like tease all that out. Yeah, it's really fascinating, too, because you all are able to do this with material that wasn't particularly documented (laughs) extensively (laughs) the way things are now. Like, I I even think about the way – so my daughter is 15 months old, and, like, I've always got my camera out. I'm taking pictures of her and, and, you know, documenting, like, every day of her life. And I don't know if I have any photos – you know, I'm sure my mom has some photos, but I, you know, like of growing up, I, we don't have that. And it's, you know, a like small comparison, but you look at what we do for our new comics that are coming out now. And mm-hmm. Lorraine, you and I are doing interviews and cool stuff with all the, the new projects that are happening every week for 30, 40, 50, 60, 80 years ago. You know, we're lucky if we have somebody's notes or, or right. something in a library. Yeah, that's got to be such a monumental task for some of these these like older topics that y'all are digging into. Well, also keep in mind, we didn't know we would be in a panorama or a Panda Express or whatever you might want to call it. So we thought we would be able to like go to a library. To a, to any um, listener, she say, she's talking about the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> just being very clear. Just, Just to be clear. But, you know, we didn't know we would be in the situation that we were currently. So even some of the stuff that we thought we might have available to us, like going to find those records somewhere in a dusty box in Indiana Jones secret, you know, stash was was not available to us. So we really had to rely on the oral history of this stuff as much as we could and and really rely on people who were historians and have this stuff in their head in a big way. I mean... Talking to somebody like Jerry Conway is amazing because he remembers everything. It's really, like Lorraine said, leaning hard on pulling these memories and anecdotes from people in a way that, you know, if circumstances were different, we might, we might not be doing as much of. You know, the way we're talking about it, there there's all these different topics and it's it's Marvel history and it's the, the people and all this stuff. Um, and we're thinking about who the show is kind of for. And I think the best way to that I think about it is it's it's for everyone. I think about the the folks that I talk to about Marvel today. Like I went to pick up paint for my new house and I know the guys at the paint store and I was like you should, you know, listen to our shows on Sirius XM. We've got a bunch of shows and and tell them I'm going to bring them some comics for their kids soon. I think about that and I think about my wife who like knows a ton about Marvel both from her own fandom and from you know, being my spouse for 10 years, you know, like the, the stories and, or even for me, I learned stuff listening to the show, talking to you, Lorraine, you know, about it, getting little bits and pieces. And I'm sure the two of you have just like gained intense amounts of knowledge being both of you incredible Marvel minds to begin with. I imagine it's gotta be difficult in some ways to make a show that does kind of strike for every type of Marvel fan. Yeah, it it definitely is interesting. I know I I've definitely felt a certain kind of way when I finally I had my husband listen to an episode and he turned to me and he was like as silly as it sounds, this is very interesting. 
You know that that thing where because honestly, sometimes I'll talk about comic books and like his eyes fully glaze over. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's just like, this is for love, right? And <laughs> but he was like, oh, what's going to happen? Can I listen to the rest of it? You know, and I think I think that's the thing is we we do get to get into some really interesting stories that just nobody's really talked about before. Yeah. Getting those anecdotes is great. But also, like, to answer your question a little bit further, Ryan, like, you know, about the show being from everybody, we have great producers, right? Who, like, really make sure that we're, like, pulling the camera all the way out to get the broad kind of, like, panoramic view for people who don't know every every little detail about the Marvel Universe and making sure, like, okay, what was happening in New York City at the time that you know, Roy Thomas begins his Marvel career and what was happening in the world. And then you you you, you push the camera focus back in um, um, to the details. And that makes those details richer, you know, like knowing that Jerry Conway lived in, a, in an apartment in Manhattan, not too far from like the bridge where, where, where Gwen Stacy dies. Like he could look out and see the bridge, I think he said. And you're like, okay, that's a detail that makes the, the, the crafting of that story feel a lot more alive um, to me and hopefully to our listeners. Evan, you talked about talking to Jerry Conway and Joe Duffy and, and some other folks. Um, Lorraine, who are some of the you know the folks that you've really enjoyed talking to for Marvel's Declassified? Um, I got to talk to Neil Kirby, who was just a fount of knowledge about his dad, Jack. He told some stories that I had never heard about Jack Kirby before, um, about his time as a soldier during World War II. And really just gave such an intimate portrayal of who his father was at home, which was really lovely to hear about. Also, I love Kelly Sue DeConnick. I've talked to her a ton of times, but um, I got to go on a really deep dive conversation with her about her portrayal of Carol Danvers. And one of the things that blew my mind about that conversation, which you guys can listen to now, it's it's in our, our episode about the rise and fall of Captain Marvel, is her view of Carol's struggle with addiction and how that drives her behavior, which was always a story I kind of was like, oh, I could take or leave her sort of stories in, during the era when she was struggling with addiction. But Kelly Sue just really put it into focus in such an interesting way. On top of all the the... The research that you're doing just about the topics. What about the comics? Have you, have the two of you been able to, or, you know, required to read a whole bunch of books that you've never touched before? Is any highlights of, of that kind of stuff? Yeah. Like a definite highlight for me was when we were doing the, the war episode, like going back to those golden age comics, you know, Captain Old School, Captain American comics from the 1940s, 30s and 40s. And like, <sighs> You're watching like Joe Simon and Jack Kirby start to create the visual language of comics, right? You know, and as dated that some of that stuff can seem, there's so much energy. Like nobody was telling them they couldn't do anything, you know? So like things that we take for granted about like how many panels are on a page, you know, how many words are in a panel, like they're just chock full of everything they could fit in. And there's like there's a real speed and intensity to the work of that era that I think is it, it makes it really um, apparent why people flock to this stuff because those comics were wild, you know? Like, <laughs> that stuff was just... No idea was out of bounds um, in those older mm-hmm. comics. And that and that's really, you know, awe-inspiring to kind of uh, find out for the first time sometimes. Yeah, I really loved going back and reading all of the comics from the 50s. You know, so much of that stuff is kind of hard to track down. And we, we really dug through and, and found some stuff that 
isn't super available in other places. And I mean, I could read romance comics all day. I just love people being like, oh, me, oh, my, what am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> they're very, they're very silly. And I also, you know, we have an episode coming in the future where we'll be talking about Marvel Knights. And it was really cool to go back and read some of those bits and pieces from the late 90s and into the early 2000s. I mean, I could read the client run of Black Panther, Christopher Priest forever. It's so funny and so unique. Um, I consider the two of you very knowledgeable people about comics, about Marvel. So I, if you met someone who'd never read a comic book before... Is there a Marvel comic that you would give to them? You know, and, and I know there are a lot of variables at play here. In my mind, there's a ton that you know you I I'd want to ask someone. But just you know, what would you say? Was there a book that you'd just be like, you know what? Anybody can enjoy this. This is something. Is there something you would give to someone who's never read a comic book before? I I would say probably just about any Spider-Man comic ever, um, because Spider-Man is sort of like an everyman character. Yeah, I, I think that would be my answer. I would probably go with Spider-Man Blue. Oh, because yeah. it's it's a deeply mm. emotional story and it is Spider-Man and it's everything that comics, you know, you think about with superhero comics, but there's such an emotional hook to it and it's so personal. And I think that that's part of the genius of that creative team of Tim Sale and Jeff Loeb of how they did that. You know, it's funny because I don't think it's like one of those seminal runs that people think of, but the Straczynski Spider-Man run with Moreland and that whole storyline. But just because it brought me back into reading Spider-Man again. You know, I'm trying to think of other stuff, but there's this issue of Daredevil from when Denny O'Neill was writing it. It's this throwaway crossover tie-in, Secret Wars 2. The Beyonder is trying to take over the world. And the premise of the issue is he hires Nelson and Murdoch to help. He's like, can I legally take over the world? You know, can I just do that? Are there laws? And and Foggy's like, we need the money. And Matt's like, "Mm, I don't know. And he gives him a big retainer. He's like, here's some gold I've recovered from a sunken ship. It's mine by right of salvage. And Matt's still thinking it over. He hasn't given an answer. When he says, you know what? Maybe I should do this. Maybe this is the right thing to do. And the Beyonder gives Matt Murdock his sight back. And it's this really moving tale to me that encapsulates so much of what, like, why I like Daredevil, his personality, where it was at the time, but also, like, you know, the quintessential kind of Marvel approach, right? Like, where it's like, our characters are human, they have flaws, they're conflicted within themselves and the world. And all of that is in that one story. It's one of my favorites. So I'll probably give somebody that. They might look at me weird, but yeah. Oh, that's a real cool yeah. pick. I like that. All right, Lorraine, tell us about what we're going to hear before we wrap up with the two of you. So we have a little clip here from episode five, Building the Perfect Hulk. And Evan, this is our interview with Robin Rosenberg. Uh, yeah, Robin Rosenberg is a psychologist who has written about the psychology of superheroes. One of her books is about that. So we talked to her about like, yo, the Hulk's head. What's up with that? What would you do if he got if he if Hulk lay down on couch to talk about problems? What would you tell him? So we talked to her about the Hulk. Here it is. In real life, right, when someone experiences that kind of sort of snap or when your anger really clicks in, mm-hmm. how does that function uh, in a in a person's psyche? So I'm going to actually answer how it functions in their brain. Even better. Um, So when 
we get either angry or afraid, we get an adrenaline rush, mm -hmm. uh, fight or flight, which is actually fight, flight, or freeze is sort of the more updated version. And we typically lose the capacity to use whatever good judgment we have. It just, we get flooded with these chemicals and it is very hard to master ourselves. Some people have a short fuse and so it the switch is, is much more instantaneous. Other people have a slow burn and they can see it coming and try to do something before it hits, if you will. But I think it, once it happens, it can feel literally uncontrollable. And the task really is to extend the fuse so people do have more of a choice and a control about what they do when they're angry, how they express it, what their ultimate goal is. You know, and there are ways to channel it to make it really adaptive and useful. In some versions of the Hulk, it's absolutely unchanneled and whatever good he does is random. And in other versions, he's more able to ch channel it and fight on the right side <laughs> for good. All right. Thank you, Evan. Uh, really appreciate it. Always good to see you when we do these chats and to, to hear your voice. And uh, Lorraine, I'll see you in just a few seconds. I, I'm not going anywhere. Thank you, Evan. Thank you, guys. All right. Big thanks once again for Evan coming on the show, stifling his laughter as I was being a lot that day. Uh, <laughs> sometimes I, I can be a lot in, in good ways. I think he doesn't get to see it as often. Um, which yeah, you, you, you gave him the full force of, of the uh, fire hose. <laughs> yeah, it was great. What was it? We did that on a Friday, right? I think. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. I, it was big Friday energy. That's right. So uh, definitely check out Marvel's Declassified on SiriusXM app and desktop player. What about next week, Lorraine? Who's on the show with us next week? Next week, we're going to have on some hilarious folks that you got to talk to. Yeah, I was goofing around with the boys from Auntie Donna, which is a just amazing sketch comedy show on Netflix. Um, I was surprised how much I loved it and how deeply connected to it I felt after watching it. It's real weird, real dark, real funny. Uh, I'm very excited for everybody to hear our conversation because we get into some fun stuff next week. But with that in mind, I think we need a question of the week. And all right. So Lorraine, since Auntie Donna is a sketch comedy show, how about our question of the week being, what is your favorite sketch comedy show? And that feels like it's a hard one. You know what? Mine is very easy because I always go back to my childhood and it's always kids in the hall. Mm. I could probably recite word for word most kids in the hall sketches, everything like pre-2000. So there are two kids in the hall things that I say, like, without even thinking about it. If someone has a quarter, I go, can I have a quarter? You got a quarter? <gasps> like the chicken lady. And then- The human if, head if, weighs eight pounds. <laughs> uh, if Elizabeth is cooking with onions, I go, onions is all I eat <gasps> every time. These are the dates I know, I know. I, I mean, there's oh. just- there's so, so many. Good. Yeah, that is a that is a perfect answer. My answer is also perfect because my choice would be the state, which <gasps> good one. Um, I'm gonna dip my and balls I talk in about it. it. Ping pong What's balls. That? I said I'm gonna dip my balls in it. Ping pong balls. That is. That's right. Uh, 
the state is to me just perfection and it is it is informed very much of who i am as a person <laughs> uh in my like just the way i act oh, and yeah. talk and whenever i get real weird thank you to the state oh man i i remember that pilot so well and being like I don't know, in my sort of preteen years, like maybe 12 or 13, and just being like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they're doing this on TV. And it was like on MTV. It was a really big deal. And I I started to get some of the grown-up jokes and I was like, I've become a woman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we do suggest anybody who has not seen Kids in the Hall or The State, go find them. They are... I, I would imagine they're streaming somewhere in some way, shape, or form. And Kids in the Hall has gone on to influence so much comedy. Members have gone on to Saturday Night Live and news radio and, and tons of television shows. The state is like, if you like Wet Hot American Summer oh, man. or That's the jam. most comedy of the last 20 years, the state has touched it. Also, I just want to say, if, if you've never watched Wet Hot American Summer with the director's commentary, which is an option called more farts you're not living life to your fullest potential and you need to reevaluate truly yeah all of this is factual and true so with that in mind let us know what your favorite sketch comedy show is you can use the hashtag this week in marvel on twitter you can send us an email to twim podcast at marvel.com that's t-w-i-m-p-o-d-c-a-s-t at marvel.com or send us a message to our facebook page that's facebook.com slash this week in marvel and what do they have to do for us to read them on the show lorraine please tell us if they are quote okay to read um and then we'll read them on the show that's how that works thanks yeah yeah uh next up we've got some stuff from our community thank you guys so much for reaching out to us the question of last week was what do you want myself and evan narciss to declassify next episode of marvel's declassified or in the future we got a message from Jenny Huang who said, another great podcast. I am anxiously awaiting when WandaVision releases on Friday. I am very psyched. I hope it will be as romantic as the scene in Infinity War with Wanda and Vision. Oh, that's so nice. Thanks to Marvel for making their shows on Disney Plus and the movies accessible to people who are blind and visually impaired. I love the audio description. I was surprised that even the previews of WandaVision on Disney Plus were audio described. That's so cool. That's so cool. Accessibility is so important these days, more and more so. So I'm glad that we're able to to make those things for folks like you, Jenny. And uh, one more little piece here of the puzzle, which says, For Declassified, I'm curious how Stan Lee decided to write characters with disabilities. Another idea for Marvel Declassified is to talk about how the Chinese community has influenced Marvel. In a few weeks, it'll be Chinese New Year again. Mm. I know, it's coming around very yeah. soon. Yeah, that's a, that's a cool topic, especially, you know, now we have more characters and more creators. It's like Marvel so global now in terms of everybody who can and does work on the creative process. So that's a great, great idea, Jenny. We've got a message in here that came into our Facebook page from Devon Sanders Cohn. This one is a week or so old. Uh, so Devin, I wanted to apologize. I don't think we got to it before. Devin says, hey guys, first time messaging you. I gotta say my favorite D-list character is Slapstick, a living cartoon character who sometimes a merc is absolute perfection. I loved to short run a few years ago, but I want more. Personally, I think he would be perfect for an animated show. Yeah, Devon, that is a great pick. Uh, Slapstick mm -hmm. is, is a cartoon. It would make perfect mm -hmm. sense. And being a cartoon, like you can, anything can happen to him. You can do pretty much 
anything to him and he'll sort of come back <laughs> to normal. So yeah, that's a great one. Next up, we have a tweet from John Swindle at the Swindler 90 saying, hearing Ryan talk about the arcade one-up X-Men cabinet and barcades make me reminisce on spending my 30th birthday at a barcade right before COVID playing the six-person X-Men cabinet. Such a fun game. May have to get this as a birthday gift to me from me. Treat yourself, John. That's the way to do it. Yeah. Happy birthday. Yeah. Uh, we got a tweet in here from Fran O'Reilly at Shady09, who said, quote of the week from this week in Marvel, from the rain to Ryan, quote, you look great for an elderly man. Uh, I think we can note that as a compliment. And then he used, I, I made sure to include this because he used the screen, uh, like the, a gif of old man Cap from the end of Marvel Studios Avengers Endgame. And I was just like, yeah, yeah. You know what? You're only as old as you feel. Which is why I'm 60. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> no, I mean, first of all, you look incredibly, incredibly young for your age. Uh, and secondly, I am older. <laughs> so I can rip you're you all a, I want. You're a year and like three months older than me. That's not significant. It's the same ballpark. It's, uh, it's close. But also... We both look fabulous. We don't smoke. I know. We so don't young. drink a ton. You know, we so vital. We, I will say, we laugh every day. Laugh. You know, we love. We live. We learn. All the things you need to to be young. Yeah, get me a pillow. I'm about to embroider. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, this next one is from Bobby at Cap Rogers forty four, who says, "My newest ink." little tribute to my girl rogue I think it's simple but effective and it's so cute it's the little x-men sign in rogue colors and it says hey sugar hey sugar <laughs> love it oh man can you imagine if rogue i am fan casting in my head uh blanche Devereaux as rogue <gasps> okay blanche is the scarlet witch dorothy <laughs> Dorothy has. How long have you been thinking about this one? Oh, wait, no, no, no. Blanche should be Emma Frost, 100%. She would wear that bikini every day. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, who's, who's next? Who's next? Sophia X23. <laughs> <laughs> because of the classic gif where she has the, the claws. Oh, my God. Who's Dorothy, though? That's uh, the question. Meant Dorothy as Dazzler uh, because she would just like turn it on and, you know, because those earrings. Yeah. And Dorothy has those moments when she's performing, she gets all glammed up, but she is full of sass and anger. She'd be great. Oh, man. Wow. Thank you for that. Yeah. Well, it always comes back to Golden Girls with us. All right. Last community bit in here is from our pal Jason Kim. He wrote us an email and he said, Dear Ryan, Lorraine, and James, aloha from Hawaii. He's talking about in his email the Marvel Studios WandaVision virtual launch event because he was one of the lucky fans who got to be a part of it. He just said a big mahalo to all of us, the Marvel and Disney team for hosting this event. I had nothing to do with it. I was just a conduit for people I liked being a part of it. All credit goes to the Marvel New Media team and uh, the Marvel Studios and Disney Plus teams for making it really, really amazing for all the fans. He had so much fun participating in the event and it was really cool seeing fellow This Week in Marvel listener, Karis Pollard, whom uh, he follows on Twitter, which was really neat. I love connecting our fans together. That's always yeah. awesome. 
<laughs> he knows that there was a deleted scene that didn't get into the uh, didn't get out there. But it was so cool that when Paul Bettany heard that Jason was from Hawaii, Paul asked Jason what time it was there in Hawaii. That's the kind of interaction you can't get anywhere else. Actually talking to the stars. That was really cool. And then finally, Jason says it was so awesome to talk to other fans about Wanda and Vision's relationship in the comics. He had a great time. And Marvel Studios WandaVision is awesome. Mahalo from Jason. That was a super fun event. And uh, if you haven't watched it, you should go watch it. It's over on the YouTube and Marvel.com. Yeah. And of course, by the time you are listening to this, it should hopefully almost be time for a new episode of Marvel Studios WandaVision. Enjoy it. Yay. We'll be back with another episode next week. This episode of This Week in Marvel is produced by Alexis Williams, Zachary Goldberg, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos. Our audio development manager is Brad Barton. And Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And special thanks to the Golden Girls. Thank you for being a friend. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. This is Marvel. Your universe.